Hello, ladies. Or maybe I should say, hello, beloved friends. Beloved friends, I don't know which is it, beloved or beloved? Say it both ways. So wonderful to see all of you here today. I am Deb Haygood, part of the Women in the Word teaching team, and I'm glad to be here with you as we finish up this letter of John. Um, it's such a great thing for you to come and finish strong. I'm so grateful, and I wanna thank you for coming and being here today. Brings me great joy studying God's Word with you. Um, this is our last week, the last uh, letter in this series of John's letters, but we're not finished with John yet. We're gonna take a break, and then we're gonna come back in January, and we're gonna study the last book that John wrote, The Revelation of Jesus Christ. And so you'll wanna join us in January as we study Revelation. We said in week one that John writes these letters to believers. And the purpose of these letters was to encourage them to have fellowship with God through Jesus, for the believers to have fellowship with God. We've talked a lot about fellowship. We've said it's an authentic, intimate relationship with Jesus. We said it's abiding in him. We've talked about deep, joyful communion, walking with Jesus. That's another way of saying fellowship. And John writes in his letters how to realize this intimate relationship with God. And he tells us to know God's truth, his commandments, and obey them. And the big truths that we see is love God and love others. Love God and love others. Every week we've seen God's lavish love. He loved us first. He gave his son to pay the penalty of our sin by dying on a cross and then conquering death as he was resurrected so that we might have eternal life, that eternal relationship, communion with God. Eternal life is fellowship. And John tells us you can have it right now the minute you believe in Jesus. Don't wait till you go on to glory. Be in fellowship with God right now. And then he says, love one another, and God gives us that love to love one another. Now, we know that we are to love all people. That's the second big commandment, love thy neighbor as thyself. But John is really writing here to these believers, telling them to love each other, to love other believers. And we know the reason why. We've said these are second and third generation Christians. They're living in Ephesus or outside in Asia Minor. And it's a it's a turbulent time. It's a hard time. There's persecution. There's many different philosophies and religions swirling around. There are false gods that people are um, looking at. And besides that, false teachers are coming into the church and teaching them false doctrine about Jesus, tearing down who Jesus is. So these, um, these believers, they're troubled, they're persecuted, they're weary and confused. And John says, love each other, love each other, support each other. And I love this last letter, this third letter of John. I am crazy about this letter. It's great because in this letter, John gives us an example, a real living example of how to love others. It's a great way to end this semester with a true-to-life illustration, someone who really lived loving others. John's third letter tells us how we live matters. How we live our life, it matters. And we're gonna look at that through the lives of four guys, and John is one of them. <clears throat> and some may say that how we live our lives is our reputation. And I have a story about reputation. 
It has to do with my dear friend Lynn. Um, many years ago, we took our kids to the stock show. And so it was a long time ago because our kids were little. And I decided to wear this fake sheepskin looking sort of vest. Um, and when I say fake, think cheap and ugly. And so <laughs> I, I, I don't know why I wore it, uh, I, but somehow it was working for me. But my, it really was something out of a Halloween basket that you would put on if you were trying to be like a cowboy. Yeah. So my, my kids were super embarrassed, especially my son. He couldn't believe I was going to wear this vest. He was humiliated. So we get in the car and he says to Lynn, do you think mom should wear that vest to the stock show? And so my daughter, Rachel, who's a couple years older, said, well, Ben, Lynn is really nice, so she might not say what she thinks. And Ben says, Lynn always tells the truth. And besides, she's the pastor's wife. <laughs> so, so we're all waiting to see, what is Lynn going to say about this? You know, I'm driving along. And she looks and pauses for a moment with the wisdom of Solomon. She says, Ben, I think it's okay if your mom wears that vest today to the stock show. And then she's thinking, and then go home and burn it. <laughs> Lynn's reputation, she was a truth teller. My kids knew she tells the truth. No matter what it costs, Lynn is going to tell the truth. Reputation means the evaluation others have of your character, integrity, and standing as a person. The dictionary says it is the general estimation in which a person is held by the public. Our reputation is how we live our life. And we know how we live our life matters. We know that. This is not a new thought to you guys. It matters to God. God tells us many ways how to live our life. But in James 4.8, he says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God. God loves us. We're to obey God and to be in a close relationship with him because God loved us first. God loves you with a lavish love. So we're supposed to live our life uh, responding in love back to God. And so how we live our life matters to God. It also matters to us. We know that when we're walking with him, we experience the peace and the blessings and the care of God. And we know that how we live our life matters to others. John tells us that in his first letter, chapter 4, Kate talked about how the invisible God is revealed when we love one another. Jesus tells us kind of that same thing. We've looked at that verse several times this semester, John 13, 34. It's not on your um, verse sheet, but, John, but Jesus was telling them, love one another as I have loved you. And all people will know that you're my followers. Loving one another, that's how people know that we are disciples of Jesus. And then there's another reason Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, 16, this is on your verse sheet, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We wanna live our lives so that we give glory to God. As followers of Jesus, we should walk in fellowship with him, reflecting his love, his care, and his concern for others. How we live life matters. And I want to say that verse again, I mean that sentence again, because this is the main theme of this lesson. And so if you doze off, then it'll be okay because you will have gotten the main point. How we live life matters. It matters. As followers of Jesus, we should walk Live in fellowship with him, reflecting his love, his care, and concern for others. 
Walk in fellowship with Jesus. Reflect his love for others. So let's open up to 3 John and see how these four guys lived their lives and see what we can learn from their reputation. Now, 3 John is a very, very short letter, a lot like 2 John, but it is very personal. It's intensely personal. In fact, it's John's most personal letter, and some think that it's the most personal letter in all the New Testament. So let's look at the salutation, that greeting in verse 1. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. So we see here that the author of this letter is John. He refers to himself as the elder, just like he did in his second letter. Not only is he elderly, as we've said before, he's of great age in his 80s, but elder can also mean one with authority, uh, one holding uh, rank or office of, uh, in the Christian church an office of high place of leadership. We see this in the book of Acts. We see it in some of the letters. We're gonna see it in a minute in 1 Peter. And we know that John has great spiritual authority because he walked with Jesus. He was one of the 12 apostles who lived and walked with Jesus. And now he's the last disciple living, last of the 12 apostles that's still alive. So he has great authority. And he's writing to Gaius. We don't know much about him, um, but we know that John calls him beloved or beloved several times. This greeting tells us that John cares deeply about Gaius. Today, if we were writing a letter, we might write to my very dear friend Gaius or dearest Gaius. John uses the word beloved 10 times in his three letters, and four of them are used in reference to Gaius. He's beloved. Beloved in the Greek, that word is agapeto, I think. I'm not sure exactly how you say it, but agapeto. But you get the root word there is agape, which means godly love. John loves Gaius with a godly love. He loves him in truth. His love is genuine. So Gaius is beloved by John. And let's go on and look at verse 2 and see uh, what else we can find out about Gaius. John says, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. Now, John's letter sounds similar to what we might write today. Dear Gaius, I hope you're in good health. I'm praying for you. John encourages Gaius with this prayer. And he says, I want you to have good health as you are spiritually healthy. So we see here a characteristic of Gaius. He is spiritually healthy. What would it be like if someone prayed that your physical health would be as good as your spiritual health? I thought about that a lot over the last few weeks, and I thought, you know, some days I'd be pretty healthy, but I hate to admit it, there are some days if you prayed that for me, that my physical health would be as good as my spiritual health, I'd be on the way to the hospital. That would be bad, but Gaius we see here, he is in good spiritual health. It goes well with his soul. Now, when I say that well with his soul, you probably are thinking of the hymn, like I am, it is well with my soul. And I went back and looked at that song, and the first verse is interesting. It says, when peace like a river attendeth my soul, or sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. So no matter if we're walking in peaceful times or if we're in deep, deep sadness and sorrow, If we're walking with Jesus, it is well with our soul. And that's what John is saying, it is well with his soul. And I love the New King James translation. He says, it's just as your soul prospers. 
What does it mean for your soul to prosper? Thought about that as well. And for me, I think it would to be, walk, be walking ever closer with Jesus consistently and continually talking to him and listening to him. And I think I would understand God's word better because Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians on your verse sheet, Paul says, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, and here it is, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. I think I would understand God's word better if my soul was prospering, and I would be loving others better, more readily, more easily, more sacrificially, unconditionally, loving them well, loving them like Jesus loves. So let's look at another characteristic of Gaius we see in verse three. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Gaius is spiritually healthy, and here we see that John is filled with great joy over Gaius because he is, rejo- he is walking in the truth. John says this two times, you, um, I'm rejoicing greatly. There's no greater joy. So Gaius is walking in the truth. It seems like some believers have been with Gaius and they've come back and they've reported to John that Gaius is a true follower of Jesus. He believes in the truth of Jesus and he is walking in that truth. Gaius knows the truth and he faithfully practices it. And this is a picture of integrity. Integrity is wholeness. The root word in integrity is integer. And for you math people out there, you know an integer is a whole number. One, 10, 450, 2003. Whole numbers versus fractions. One third, one half, five eighths. Those are parts. Integrity is wholeness, completeness. What you say, what you believe, and what you do is all the same. You walk your talk. You do what you say. You're a truth teller. You're dependable. People can count on you because you are not saying one thing and doing something else. Those people lack integrity. They're fractured. They're liars. You cannot trust them. They're undependable. But Gaius walks in the truth. So what is truth? What is truth? We've talked a lot about that. Uh, So let's talk about it for one more minute. What is truth? Shelly talked about it last week in that second letter. She said truth. Um, fact and reality. John talks a great deal about truth, and if you listen today, you hear the world around us talking about truth. But they say there is no absolute truth. The truth is in you. Find your truth. Speak your truth. Live your truth. Whatever makes you happy, that is your truth. And I think from that line of thinking comes the phrase, don't judge me. Okay, now I'm not judging, (laughs) not judging you. Um, Don't wanna offend anybody. If you use that phrase, it's okay. My grandkids do it, I've used it, don't judge me. But I think originally that came from this thinking that this is my truth, I'm gonna live my truth and you must accommodate my truth and don't judge me. 
Jesus says, I am the truth. He says that in John 14, 6. I put it again because it's such a great verse on your outline. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus is the truth. Who he is, son of God. What he did, dying to save us. What he said, do good, love others, stand firm. God says there is absolute truth. Jesus is truth. And God's word is truth. It tells us that. John is saying, know the truth. Live the truth, test for truth, be discerning. Ladies, discernment is another word for judgment. Discernment's another word for judgment. Now, let me say this, it's never helpful, never good to say, you're wrong, I'm right, this is the truth. That doesn't work well, I know that from personal experience. But what John is saying is, that we are to be discerning and know God's word, and then we're to walk with Jesus, we're to walk in the truth that others might see that. William Barclay says, the truth is that which makes a man think like God and act like God. Gaius is a guy who walked in truth. He was a man of integrity. Let's go on, look at verse five and see what else we have here. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. Fellow workers for the truth. So we see here another characteristic of Gaius, and we see also more encouragement from John. He's encouraging uh, Gaius as he faithfully Uh, shows love and hospitality to believers. Gaius is faithful. It means consistently and continually serving and loving those traveling believers. And they're strangers. He doesn't even know them. These traveling believers, they're teaching the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And it appears that Gaius is showing them hospitality, which um, most likely means that they are staying in his home. He's giving them a bed, and he's giving them food. And then as he sends them on his way, on their way, he's probably giving them provision, either money or more food. He's showing hospitality to these believers. And now they have returned, some of them anyway, back to Ephesus, and they've told John about these loving, faithful acts of Gaius showing hospitality. Hospitality, you know, was very important in that culture, in that day and time. Even the immoral unbelievers uh, showed hospitality. So how much more should believers practice hospitality? We read that they weren't staying with Gentiles, so they needed to stay with other believers. They needed, the believers needed to practice hospitality for one another. And I think today, hospitality is still a manifestation of Christian love. Verse seven tells us that a little more about these traveling believers. It says they are going out for the sake of the name. What is that? The sake of the name. That means Jesus. Jesus, the name above all names. Worthy is the name of Jesus. And these teachers were teaching the truth. They're telling the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Today we would call them missionaries. In verse six, John encourages Gaius to keep up the good work and to send them off in a manner worthy of God. What is a manner worthy of God? 
thought about that um, over the last few weeks. What would that be? And two words came to my mind. I would have loved to have been in all your small groups and hear what you came up with there. Two words came to my mind, good and generous. Do good to them, Gaius, and be generous. I had a friend that once she's gone on to be with the Lord, she was a dear friend, and she told me once, Deb, my motto is to be as generous as I can be. Those words have stuck with me, and I think when I'm being a little generous, I think her words come back to me, be as generous as you can be. And I think that would be a manner worthy of God, as generous as you can be. That sounds like God. So do what is good for them and be generous. John tells us that when we support teachers of the truth, we are fellow workers for the truth. We're partners with them in spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, Christ Chapel has many missionaries that we support, many ways that you can partner with them. You can pray for them specifically. You can pray for them often. You can give financial support if you hear of a need and you are, uh, have the ability to do that. You can write a letter of encouragement. How great would that be for a missionary to receive that? Um, there's often different things that we do at Christ Chapel for them. Be looking and be, um, be aware of different opportunities to bless the missionaries. Now, we have some little booklets that have all the names of the missionaries we support. And if you want to pick one of those up on your way to lunch, they're going to be down at the uh, bottom of the staircase in a basket. So you can pick one of those little booklets up and maybe begin to pray over the holidays for these missionaries. So what can we learn from the reputation of Gaius? In one sentence, walk with Jesus in wholeness. That's integrity, faithfully serving and loving one another. Let's go on and look at the next guy John talks about, and that is Diotrephes. Diotrephes, verse nine. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Oh my. Diotrephes is uh, the total opposite of Gaius. He's nothing like him. John tells us he likes to put himself first. He's self-centered. He's self-seeking. He's self-promoting. And that speaks to me of pride. He is prideful. He's motivated by pride, and that leads to selfish ambition. He wants to be the center of attention, the main attraction, in charge wants to be in charge of all this. In fact, Diotrephes does not acknowledge the authority of John, no. Instead, he is arrogant. We see his arrogant thoughts. I'm not listening to John. I'm not submitting to his authority. Who is he anyway? Now, it would seem that John wrote to Diotrephes um, about hospitality, practicing hospitality um, to these traveling teachers. And probably some of... uh, Some people, some believers, brought this letter from John to Diotrephes. And then they reported back to John his response. And that was, he did not acknowledge it. In fact, I kind of get this picture of Diotrephes unfolding the scroll and reading what John said. And then in a huff, crushing it up and throwing it into the fire. 
I don't have to listen to that, not acknowledging that. Diotrephe seems to be in a place of leadership in this church, and Gaius was probably a part of this church. Now, whether he put himself in this position or someone put him in this position, we're not sure, but he is probably or could be a believer. Um, But his pride has totally affected his relationship with God. He doesn't seem to be walking with Jesus. He is not walking in the truth. He is definitely not loving others. Now, he probably isn't a false teacher, or I feel pretty sure John would have addressed that and mentioned that. But he has gone off in the total wrong direction. His behavior is motivated by pride. And he's getting far away from the heart of Jesus and loving others. And John says, I'm going to address this behavior when he comes. And that also includes Diotrephes talking maliciously about John, making up things, lies, slander, false accusations. Today we would call that trash talking. He's trash talking about John. And do you see the progression here? This progression of pride in his life, it starts off with this attitude of selfish ambition, wanting to be first. And that leads to wrong, arrogant thoughts. I'm not submitting to John. I'm in charge. Who is John? He's just an old guy. Let's kick him to the curb. And then that leads to um, him talking uh, wrongly about John. He has to make up lies to rationalize his wrong thinking. Our words always reflect what we're thinking. Sooner or later, what's in your heart is gonna come out your mouth. Jesus tells us this clearly in Matthew 12, 34. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. Our words always reveal our thinking sooner or later What's in our heart is gonna come out of our mouth. And then from our words come actions. If we say it long enough, then we begin to act on that. And the actions of Diotrephes, he's refusing hospitality to the traveling Christians. Now this is a great indictment against Diotrephes because hospitality was to be a characteristic of Christian leaders. And you saw that in your study questions in Titus and in, I think, 1 Peter, That was a characteristic of a Christian leader, hospitality. And Diotrephes is not showing hospitality. He's refusing hospitality to these other believers. And not only that, he is not allowing others in the church to show hospitality. And it says if they do, if they continue to do that, he throws them out of the church. What a tyrant. What a dictator Diotrephes is. And it all began with pride. Pride is very dangerous. It is that self-exalting attitude. And as believers, we want to exalt and lift up the name of Jesus, not our own name. We want to exalt Jesus. We want to walk humbly with Jesus. And humility is the exact opposite of pride. Peter tells us this in 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. There's an example of elders being a person in leadership, Clothe yourselves, all of you, all of you, the younger and the elders, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We want to walk humbly with Jesus. We want to 
Uh, we don't wanna live our lives like Diotrephes. We don't wanna live with um, pride in our lives, exalting ourselves. So how do we avoid pride? Well, I have four ways here that I see in this negative example of Diotrephes. First, check our attitudes. Are you self-seeking, self-promoting? Am I wanting to be the center of attention? That's pride creeping in. That's pride. Second, examine our thoughts. Are you teachable, yielding to authority, listening to wisdom? Or do I think, I don't need to hear that. I, I know that. I'm better than that. That's pride. Examine our thoughts for our attitudes and how, if we're teachable. Third, guard our tongues. Now, this really strikes close to home. Are my words careless, critical, unhelpful, discouraging, harsh? I don't want to talk like that, but I'm sad to say, often I do. Sometimes I do. And then I have to confess, and I have to pray, and often I pray Psalm 141.3. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Sometimes I need to be that emoji face with the zipper running across it. I don't want to talk like that. I instead want to have a heart that um, loves God. It overflows with the love of Jesus so that my words are encouraging and loving and wise and caring and building others up. Those are the words that I want. In fact, Proverbs 15, four tells us this about our tongue. The tongue that brings healing is a tree of life, but a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. Our words can crush others. We wanna have wise, caring, building up, encouraging words. And then fourth, watch your actions. What kind of things are you doing? We are to do good and be generous. So let's go on and look at verse 11. This is a very important verse. John says, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Now this is the fourth time that John has called Gaius beloved. And I think this verse is the key verse of this letter because this verse tells us how to live. And he closes this section on Diotrephes by telling Gaius, don't be like Diotrephes. Don't imitate evil. Instead, imitate good. Those of us are from God. We imitate good. Paul tells us in Ephesians 5.1, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. We are to imitate God as children of God. We imitate our Father. Now to imitate means to mimic. Little children often mimic um, their parents. And so I have a story about my very youngest granddaughter, Harper. Um, the kids call my husband Poppy. And so when she was just a baby, um, Scott would look at her in the face and he'd make this pop sound like pop, 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 pop. And every time he saw her. And pretty soon when she was just a few months old, she would see Scott and she would begin to go pop, 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 pop with her mouth. And she was imitating him. And even when she first started walking, she would kind of come in the house, blow right by me, and start going, huh? that meant, where's Poppy? He was kind of her best friend and playmate at that time. She had learned to imitate that sound that Scott made. She couldn't say Poppy, but she could imitate that sound. We are to imitate Jesus. Imitate Jesus because our conduct clearly reflects our relationship with God. He who does good is of God, doing God's work. We know God. We're doing God's work. 
He who does evil, as Eugene Peterson says, does not know the first thing about God. We know God, let's do good. And John's words here bridge Diotrephes' negative example, that which we do not want to imitate, with his introduction of Demetrius. Verse 12, Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. So John is saying here that Demetrius has a good reputation. He's a really, really good guy. Amy told us a couple weeks ago about the Jewish law of witnesses, and I have uh, one of those places is in Deuteronomy 19, 15 on your verse sheet, and it says, only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. And so John gives three witnesses to testify to this good reputation of Demetrius. He says that everyone, everyone, That's the first witness, who knows Demetrius speaks well of him. He has a reputation of being a really good guy. And then the second witness, John personifies truth. And he says truth testifies. Demetrius' belief and his behavior is founded on God's truth. His words and deeds line up with truth. He too is a person of integrity. His life was above reproach and beyond question. And then the third witness of Demetrius is John himself. John and the other believers around John, they could personally vouch for Demetrius. The way he lived his life reflects his love and his obedience to God and to others. The reputation of Demetrius, what does it teach us? I think we're to remember to do good because our conduct clearly reflects our relationship with God. So we have looked at the way Gaius and Diotrephes and Demetrius lived their lives. And I wanna take a couple more minutes here and look at John. John is an excellent example of a life lived well in fellowship with Jesus. We've looked at John over all these past weeks this semester and we've seen that John is in fellowship with Jesus, deep communion, walking, with Jesus, And what does a life look like when we're in a deep, abiding, intimate relationship with Jesus? First thing I see in John, now that he's older, he is a loving spiritual father. He loves them in the truth. We've seen this in his first two letters, and then over and over again in this third letter, he calls Gaius beloved. He says, John's children walking in the truth bring him joy. His children are all those believers that he has um, dealt with, that he knows of in his life. And when they are walking with God, it brings him joy. And many of you, maybe all of you know that feeling. Maybe it's your children or your grandchildren, and they love Jesus. They're walking with Jesus. They're making godly decisions. They're doing good, and it brings you joy. Nothing brings our heart joy like seeing our children loving Jesus Or maybe it's someone that you mentor and you've seen them walking with the Lord and it brings you joy. Maybe it's someone that you've led to the Lord and as they walk along, they are um, bringing you joy as they walk in the truth. Scott and I, some years ago, taught the uh, young married class. They're the newly, newly marrieds, the newlyweds. Actually, Scott taught it and I brought coffee cake. But it was a great time 
We loved being involved in that class because they were so young and fun and they loved their spouses and they loved each other and they loved God. In fact, we called it the link class because they were all linked together. It was great fun. It's gonna make me cry. I loved watching that. And now over the years, I see some of those people from that class and they still are walking with Jesus and it brings me joy. Some of you in this room were in that class and you love Jesus today. Some of you are in leadership, you're small group leaders and it brings me great joy to see you walking in the truth and raising up your children to love the Lord. Brings us joy when we see that. John's, he felt great joy and love, deep and sincere for those other believers. Also, I see that John is an encourager. When you're walking with the Lord, you are an encourager. He encouraged Gaius with words. We saw that in the first few verses of this letter, and we also saw in verse two, he encouraged him with prayer. He prayed for him, and instruction. He says, keep up the good work, Gaius. Be faithful as you are faithful. And now, let's read verse 13, 14. Let's see um, a few other ways he encourages. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends each by name. So now we see that uh, John is going to encourage Gaius with a personal visit. He wants to see him face to face. And there's something so special when we are face to face with someone. Especially now, these days, I think we all love a personal touch. We're grateful for technology, but technology takes us away from that sometimes. So we love that personal touch. I talked to my mom this week on the phone. Great conversation, but that I am waiting, anticipating when I am gonna see her at Christmas, to see my mom face to face, to hug her, to sit next to her, to be with her. Something special about that personal touch. John's gonna encourage Gaius with a personal visit. And then we also see here that he blesses him. He closes with this blessing of peace, the peace from Jesus, that peace that passes understanding. And he also greets him with love from the friends. And then I love this, he reminds Gaius to greet each of the friends, each by name. John loves Gaius individually. He loves people individually and he's telling Gaius, greet them by name, individually, because that's the way Jesus loves us. He loves us personally and individually. He doesn't just love women in the word, he loves Julie and Judy and Martha and Deb. He loves, John is reminding Gaius to love and care for others individually. John's life with Jesus, his walk with Jesus reflects the lavish love of God. So as we come to a close, my prayer is that each of you have grown in your knowledge of God um, over these last few weeks as we've looked at these letters, that you have grown in your knowledge of his love and your fellowship, your relationship, your communion, your walking with him has grown even closer, closer today than you were in September. How you live your life matters. As believers in Jesus, we wanna live in fellowship with him, reflecting his love, his care, and his concern for all. Let's pray. Oh Lord, 
How great is the love that you have lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. We are your children, Lord, and we thank you for these letters that show us that. I pray, Father, you would open our hearts that we would learn that and feel that, even in these um, holidays that are coming up. I pray for that for those in the room, that these are hard times. Lord, I pray that your presence, your fellowship, your love for them would be felt deeply and personally. Lord, bless these ladies in this room. Bless us as we walk out, that we would remember you every day, that we would continue to walk with you, Jesus, walk closely with you, and then bring us back safely in January. We love you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.